Can I try? Oh, it's not a podcast beer. I can't. Well, you had tequila shots yesterday, so I guess yeah. everything's up in the air. No, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I'm celebrating. If you didn't know, yesterday was uh, Mexican Independence Day. I'm sure there's a formal name for it. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. But Mexican Independence Day was yesterday, so I celebrated with some tequila shots, and it was fantastic. Lovely. Yeah. Good for you. Didn't even feel them. Wow. Yeah, after not drinking for like a couple weeks. Didn't even feel them. Didn't even feel them. Nothing. Welcome. <laughs> there it is. To the 54th episode. 54. Are you sure? I am sure. Are you sure? I know what episode <laughs> it is. It's the 54th episode of Beer and Fair. My name is Zach. My name is Paige. Uh, we are going to do this episode on, I remembered, the sea, uh, slash the ocean, slash open bodies of water, slash the lassophobia. That's going to be the title. <laughs> <laughs> All those slashes. All of those things. But uh, I think just the C uh, is how I, I how I had it had it formatted in headed it how I had it formatted in Excel um, Excel in Excel. But the C is scary, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's scary mm-hmm. to some mm-hmm. people. That's why there's a phobia name for it, the lassophobia. And um, actually, this episode is partly inspired by Amy. I don't know if she listens still or if Bill listens, but uh, shout out to Amy because she told me that um, she has a fear of the C. Uh, just because it's you know wide open, just very it's just sea everywhere. <laughs> There's just water everywhere, <laughs> but it's scary because it's like the unknown and you know H two O H two O. That'll be the title. <laughs> uh, so thalassophobia is the phobia, the fear of the sea. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the sea and the ocean, and I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But uh, before we get into the beer. Anything to tell me about? I mean, you you had a pretty eventful day today. I just don't know. There's some some of that stuff. Obviously, we got to keep our yes. personal lives. Mm-hmm. You know, some stuff we can't yep. quite share, but can't disclose to the one right. listener, the one person that listens to this. <laughs> Want to make sure that uh, they don't hear these things. Uh, I started a new job. Hell yeah! At a school as a teaching assistant. That's so, crazy. It's so different from... I am a teacher. It's so different from everything that uh, you've done before. Very weird. Yeah, Very surprised I got the job. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, it was a good first day. I really enjoyed it. I told you all about it already, but yeah. it was just nice. And I also don't want to like talk about right. minors. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Seems inappropriate. <laughs> um, but it was good. I've just been, you know... TV. I'm started watching New Girl with Allison now. You did say New Girl, yes, and then you were like, eh, watching, "I'm not sure." Okay. Now we're watching New Girl. Excellent. I think we were planning on doing the Avengers, but oh yeah, that's right. I need you to dig out that. my PlayStation Three. Oh yeah, so I can put it in the living room. Gotcha. That's packed away in boxes. Gotcha. That seems like work. That's a lot of work. I still have those boxes in my room. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's been like two or three months now. Well, that's okay. I remember I I told you I still had boxes like after a year. That's they true. were in my bedroom. That's and true. Just I've got crap. time then. I've got yeah. time. Nothing but time. Yeah. <laughs> Until my inevitable demise. You need to fix your brakes. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. It's getting too real. 
Let's not bring that I'm up. Bringing up my, my the problems that I need to deal with. Um, I don't do this to reflect on my actions. Yeah, that's true. You're, Jesus. We drink beer and talk about scary shit. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. But yeah, I started a new job. I like it so far. Excellent. First day went well. I got a lot of compliments, which I was very surprised because all I did was hang out with kids. Hell yeah. That sounds fun. I'm happy for you. It was nice. I'm excited. And tell me about your days. What about you, bud? What about me? Yeah, what's going on in your life? What is going on in my life? Your side of the quarter. Um, I'm going to see the dentist tomorrow. (laughs) I got that going for me. Wow. Yeah. You gonna get something pulled? Uh, no. It's just my six-month appointment. Uh, you wanna know when the last time I went to a dentist was? Hmm. An embarrassing long time ago. Oh. I go twice a year. I think that's what everyone says you're supposed to go to the dentist twice a year. Yeah, so I go two times a year. Did you lose something over there? I dropped my cap. Oh, no. Do you need help recovering it? I'll find it. (laughs) Well, because Soda will get it, and she'll pat it under a table, and you'll never be found again. Just like her ball. Yeah, I can't find that. Um, What? So it's just a checkup? Yeah, it's just a, yeah, it's your six-month appointment. I have no idea where it went. What did I do? I didn't really do anything. I guess you worked. (laughs) So there's that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, trying to think of work. Oh, oh, no! I did do something. I went to the Morton Arboretum. <laughs> I still have never been. Um, apparently, I thought that I had never been either, and I told my dad I was going. Oh, and no, he like, told you that you have been. Yeah, I remember. Did you I told talk me. about this? Yeah, we talked about this. Okay, so I went to the Morton Arboretum. Mm-hmm. We saw the um, the uh, human nature exhibits. That was really cool. Bunch of statues. Were they just um, statues of humans? Really? No. They were really cool looking. Not all of them. They were really, really cool looking statues. Mm-hmm. I have some pictures. Maybe I'll put them on the website. But you could, I mean, if you're listening to this, you can Google human plus nature and see it. But Yeah, but sometimes it's nice to just have everything in one area. Like they go to the website. They're like, oh, I want to see these pictures. You know what? You're right, Paige. Damn straight. Oh, is that like, oh, those are lips and a face. I want to smooch them. Those are kissable lips. Those, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. And then uh, this one? Oh, that's cool as fuck. And then we makes went, me think of motherhood. We went underneath it. Yeah, that's what the statue's for. Huh. It's like you're one, you're a, a child of nature, you know. And then uh, you're in the whom this one. She's opening her bosom to you. Uh huh. And then uh, this one. Uh, curly hands. Curly hands. That's the <laughs> name of that one, actually. Curly hands. And then um, this one. Split and face person. Sp- sp- <laughs> split. Split and half person. Split and half person. <laughs> can name all of these um but there were five statues there mm-hmm. and got to see them all that was very Those are cool. cool i like that yes. i wish i had gone to the troll exhibit that they did or the lego exhibit that they did because mm-hmm. i loved i loved lego so much when i worked there yeah it was fun yeah the, uh, well there's still a troll that like if you're on 355 and you're driving a certain way you oh, can the see big one yeah, yeah the big I, one. I see that yeah i was trying to figure out where that was because i wanted to see it but yeah i'll go some other day it's fine i'll see it it's fine it's fine <laughs> but it was it was very cool i enjoyed it a lot that was probably the highlight of my week. Mm, yeah, lovely. but you know I have a shitty memory, so I, this is why I need to write things down. This is why I have a book over there. And you I'm still used to, don't write and things I, down. I haven't been doing that, so it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Our beer, yeah, for yeah. episode fifty-four about the sea is <laughs> from Tighthead Brewing Company. Tighthead. We've done that before, We've right? We've done Tighthead. Correct. Who'd we? Who did we drink from them who'd before? We, who do we? Who do we do? We do. Um, you can't. Uh, guess or remember? No, I don't remember. It's up there, I think. Oh, you can't see it. I can't. No, it's there's not up so there. many beers up there now. Yeah, uh, it was Scarlet Fire. 
I didn't like that. <laughs> it was the uh, it was the red slash amber ale. Yeah, I didn't like Scarlet that. Fire. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, wasn't that wasn't wait was that the one with the girl that was like the hops were on fire, like the hop dress or whatever? Yeah, the girl with the dress in the field and stuff. Like yeah, it was the amber ale, and it was about spontaneous human combustion. Yeah, it was that episode. It was a good episode. Um, so Tighthead Brewing Co. We've talked about them before. I'll mention them briefly. Mm-hmm. One sixty one North Art North Archer Avenue in Mundelein, Illinois six zero zero six zero. Uh, I included this quote in that other episode. Tighthead Brewing Company is a craft brewery located in Mundelein, a suburb of Chicago. Our brew pub is a neighborhood institution where friends and families can meet up and enjoy great music, wonderful company, and the best beer in town. Since mm-hmm. we opened our doors in 2011, we have poured our heart and soul into every glass. Stop in and taste what we're talking about. What we're talking about. You can follow them on their socials at Tighthead Brewing on Facebook and at Tighthead Brew on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. Okay. They're doing a cool event called Hoptoberfest. Okay. It is Saturday. I wish I could go. It's Saturday, September 25th from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the brewery. As a teacher, I have weekends off. (laughs) (laughs) So you can go to this. Unfortunately, I cannot. Uh, Saturday, September 25th from 2 to 8 at the brewery, 161 North Archer in Mundelein. Uh, Hoptoberfest, this is from their website. Hoptoberfest is back. Join us for a day of great beer, food, music, and many other festivities. We will be featuring our Tighthead Brews, Cider from Two Fools, which is right by center stage, remember? I don't like cider. Okay. Seltzers, <laughs> okay. <laughs> seltzers from Press, which is a I have no idea. seltzer company, and non-alcoholic beer options from Athletic Brewing all day long. Hmm. So we've got tons of drink. Stay tuned for a list of special tampings and details. Where is Mondeline? I don't know. Uh, food offerings such as pork schnitzel sliders. Oh, that sounds good. Tighthead Oktoberfest beer brats. Hmm. Spätzle. Now I'm getting hungry. Thanks a lot. And... Döner kebabs, kebabs, described as a dope-ass German street food sandwich. Oh, okay. That's what it says on their website. All right, then. Uh, Mandelein is... You know it's good if it says dope-ass. It's dope-ass German street food. Uh, it, Mandelein is just northwest, northeast of Lake Zurich. It is east of Wakanda, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, west of Lake Forest mm-hmm. and north of Buffalo Grove. Okay. I have an idea. South of Gray's Lake. Gotcha. So if you're listening to this, September 25th, 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 from two to eight, go to the brewery, check it out. Uh, you can buy tickets online mm-hmm. and you get a free beer token, I think, oh, if you do that. exciting. So I wish I can go. It sounds like fun. The beer that we're going to have from Tighthead is okay. called Chili Water. Okay. Now, two episodes ago, yes. we talked about tsunamis mm-hmm. or hurricanes. hurricanes, and I mentioned that... Mm-hmm. This was the beer that I was looking at, mm-hmm. but I ended up deciding on the Central Waters uh, one instead. So I ended up getting this one. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, it's another kind of water episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got Chili Water by Tighthead. So I'm excited to try this because this is the other one I was looking at. My question. Uh-huh. Chili. Chili. Is it going to be a beer with peppers in it? It's going to be a beer that tastes just like chili. I'm interested. I'm You've hooked me. Joking. <laughs> it is a wheat-based <laughs> pale ale. Okay. That is fermented very clean with American ale yeast, giving it a crisp, refreshing finish. Citra and Amarillo hops provide an aroma and flavor of mango, tangerine, and other soft citrus fruit. Warning. This beer may cause a widespread panic. Hint at the name's origin. I don't know. Do you have any background in that? I didn't, I didn't figure that one out. No. Um. <laughs> just Google chili waters. Maybe it's like a, a slang thing. <laughs> it's an urban dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a sex position. Oh, God. 
Chili waters. Chili water. Uh, There's chili pepper water from Hawaii. Well, it's coming up. That with, sounds pretty good. It's coming up with tight head a lot. All these results are just tight head brewing. Oh, chili water by Widespread Panic. So there's a band called Widespread Panic, and they have a song oh, called Chili Water. Okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> that makes sense. We figured it out. This is an American Pale Ale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we've had plenty of APAs on the show. We sure have. Uh, Zombie Dust. Yep. Candy Crushable. Temporal Purgatory. Candy Crush was great. It was great. Those other two were terrible. <laughs> Death of Cool. And last week's beer. You picked an APA. Mm-hmm. I'll talk uh, just briefly about them. Craftbeer.com says, like many others that have become known as classic American beers, the American Pale Ale can trace its roots to beer styles from abroad. The American Pale Ale beer was inspired by the English Pale Ale, replacing its English counterparts' earthy herbal hops with generous additions of boldly citrus and pine-like American varieties. American Pale Ale beer remains a staple of the American beer world because it continues to evolve. With each passing day, independent breweries across the country are reimagining the classic Pale Ale by experimenting with local ingredients to craft flavor profiles that push the boundaries of beer. Uh, Per the website, it's good to pair with roasted or grilled meats, Mm. mild or medium cheddar, and apple pie. This beer is 4.8% ABV, Mm -hmm. 40 IBU. Okay. And five SRM. A whole five. A whole five. Wow. We do have a uh, score on uh, Beer Advocate for this beer. Mm-hmm. It has a score of 88. Okay. Very good. That's good. It's ranked higher than uh, Scarlet Fire. Yeah. Not surprised. It's ranked 433 <laughs> in APAs. Okay. 13,430 overall. Okay. Not bad. And an average rating of 3.95. 3.95. 3.95. So this is a cool beer. Uh, I'm excited to try it. It's another APA, um, but let me go get it. Yeah, go grab it. You expect me to use the same glass? No, I, do, I don't. Oh, you grabbed it. Like, oh. <laughs> you want to calm down on that? Sorry. <laughs> That's my bad. Jump the gun. I was going to be really confused. Oh, hey, it's got an anglerfish on it. It does have an anglerfish on it. And it's, it's light as a hop. Light as a hop. Yeah. Oh, it is a hop. Yeah. Look at that. They really don't know how to branch out. <laughs> Enjoy all day with no need for panic. American Pale Ale. Um, I, I just looked in my fridge to grab this, and because I'm not drinking, I have an insane amount of beer in my fridge now <laughs> from these episodes, and I stocked up on a few, too. We've got some bonus. Oh, we could do a bonus one. I didn't do any research. I got time. I could do. I could. We could do a bone. We'll make it work. You got it. Okay. I gotta get a sniff. Okay. It smells like the one I was just drinking. You are spilling. Oh god! Everywhere. Oh no! Oh jeez! Why do you do this every time? Hmm. <laughs> so skeptical. It's best to be skeptical rather than. Not skeptical. I was going to say unskeptical. <laughs> Don't be unskeptical, kids. That bitch is foamy. Oh, oh God. God. Calm down. Calm down. That is a lot of, that's a lot of foam over there. <laughs> Do you expect anything less from me? <laughs> go for it. Oh, you're just going to do it? I'm going to go well, for it. We're we going to talk about it a little bit. <laughs> it looks, I can't get really like, a stink, distinct smell from it. It, looks it just like, smells like an APA. Oh, what does an APA smell like? 
go into it then. <laughs> it looks like the the last beer. The color hazy, you know. Sure. Uh, too like a little a f- apple juicy finger length foam. Apple juicy. That's a good one. This foam likes to stick around. It's like a lemon meringue pie with how whipped it is. <laughs> Being descriptive. Yeah, apple juicy. There's apples in there for sure. Um, maybe orange. I feel like I say orange for every beer. My nose is a little stuffy. Yeah, that was like me last week. I'm working with tampered equipment. And then, yeah, the hops. Herbal. Farmy. APA. But, uh, yeah, foam sticks around. It's uh, it's frothy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Ooh, it's nice and cold. There is mm. a weird aftertaste that I feel in my gums. It's smooth. It's not really like extremely hoppy in any way. It's almost like I don't know if it's because it's so cold, but I almost don't get anything right? from the initial taste. Yeah, it's like only after you're done swallowing and the aftertaste. You know, you have to get a burp. Right. It it does uh, coat your tongue a little bit just because. I mean, it's frothy, it's foamy, so it's it's a thicker beer. I get a little bit of fruit there. Get a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm. I mostly just get the fact that it's cold. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was in the freezer because uh, it was room temp when I brought it here. So I wanted to make sure it could it could warm up a little bit. I still get a little hint of the fruit, though. There's a little yeah. hint of the fruit. Um, I don't mind this, actually. All right. I thought you would dislike it more than the uh, yeah last week's APA. How much How much did I dislike that one? An they eight. all blur together after a while. You, you ranked it an eight. I didn't like that one. It was okay. I like a little bit of bam, a little shazam, you know? Right, but what I'm saying is I don't think this really... Okay, I get mango a little bit there. But I don't think this has a whole lot. I don't know. It's it's good. It's I, I, I feel like I get, I, do, I get more hop than I get fruit. I would agree. Um, but also, I would just say that this one is easier to drink compared to last week's episode. Yeah. It's the week before. It's pleasant. I don't remember. It's, it could be a little warmer. There's so much in this fucking... Can't yeah, I don't say that a whole lot, a whole lot because some of our beers are a little too warm. But have we ever had like a particularly warm beer? Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, that should have been a refrigerated a little bit longer. But I don't know. I'd rather have it too cold than not. Okay, there's mango in the burp. But yeah, there's mango. There's a lot of mango. Mango in the hanging burp. around. It's got stumps for days. Mm. Bad name. <laughs> it was spit. <laughs> Where do I want to start? There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, the ocean is vast. Yeah. The oceans are vast. Mm. There's not just one. Do you talk about that one, um, the one point in the water where it's like, um, point in ocean farthest. Oh, God. No. What is that? It's Point Nemo. It's the uh, location in the ocean that's farthest from all land masses. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, you can't. I would not want to be there. Is it like a little island? Um, I don't know. I think it's just... I don't know if it's an island. I think it's just a spot in the ocean. Oh. But then there's also like a globe. Mm-hmm. If you turn it a certain way, there's a, a way you can rotate it to where the entire face of the globe that's facing you is just ocean. Mm. Or at least most of it. It's just the entire... I think it's the, the Atlantic Sea. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. There's so much water. Tell us about it. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Look at all that water. Oh, my God. What's all that doing there? (laughs) The ocean. 
Uh, so the sea or the world ocean is the body of salt water, which covers approximately 71% of the surface of the earth and contains 97% of earth's water. Hmm. It's a lot of water. That's, yeah, That's a very high percentage. 97. 97% of earth's water. That's crazy. Otherwise known as the Pacific, which is the largest, Atlantic, Indian, Southern, and Arctic, which is the smallest. Mm-hmm. Seawater covers approximately, oh boy, large numbers, <laughs> 139 million square miles of the planet. Damn. Oceanographers, which I dream to be one I want to be one of those. That sounds like a cool-ass job. Divide the ocean into different vertical and horizontal zones based on physical and biological conditions. The pelagic zone consists of the water column. Oh my god, you sound so smart. Thanks. Thanks for noticing. It's all a facade. It's all a fake aid. Uh, consists of the water column from surface to ocean floor throughout the open ocean. The water column is further categorized in other zones depending on depth and how much light is present. The photic zone includes water from the surface to a depth of 200 meters where photosynthesis can occur. Oh, in the water. That's right. I feel like there was a show that was like photosynthesis, where people were just chanting photosynthesis. Oh, there's a SpongeBob episode where yes. it's like photosynthesis, yes. photosynthesis, <laughs> photosynthesis. This makes the photic zone the most biodiverse. Uh huh. Photosynthesis by plants and microscopic algae. Algae. Which are free floating phytoplankton, if you didn't know. That's a tongue twister. Say that five times fast. Free Don't really. Oh. Creates organic matter from chemical precursors like water and carbon dioxide. This upper sunlit zone is the origin of the food supply, which sustains most of the ocean's ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Light only penetrates to a depth of a few hundred meters. The remaining ocean below is cold and dark. The continental shelf, where the ocean approaches dry land, is more shallow with a depth of a few hundred meters or less. Okay. Interesting. Ocean temperatures depend on the amount of solar radiation reaching the ocean's surface. Uh -huh. In the tropics, surface temperatures can rise to over 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh, that's hot. Or 30 degrees Celsius. Near the poles, where sea ice forms, the temperature in equilibrium is about 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh, or negative cold. 2 degrees Celsius. Oof. Deep seawater temperature is between 28 degrees Fahrenheit and 41 degrees Fahrenheit in all parts of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Water continuously circulates in the ocean, creating ocean currents. Mm -hmm. These directed movements of seawater are generated by forces acting upon the water, including temperature differences, atmospheric circulation, such as wind, mm -hmm. the Coriolis effect, can't get away from that, Oh yeah, and differences in sal salininity. Sal 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 salinity. Salinity. Sus. 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 The difference in sus. Tidal currents originate from tides, while surface currents are caused by wind and waves. Major wind, I'm um, sorry, major ocean currents include the Gulf Stream, Corocio Current, uh, Agulis Current, and Antarctic Circumpolar, Circumpolar Current. Collectively, currents move enormous amounts of water and heat around the globe. This circulation significantly impacts global climate and the uptake and redistribution of pollutants, such as carbon dioxide, by moving these contaminants from the surface into the deep ocean. Oh. <laughs> oh. You sound like a turtle. 
ocean water contains large quantities of dissolved gases, including oxygen, carbon dioxide, and nitrogen. This gas exchange... (laughs) (laughs) There's a clip I got to show you. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Gas exchange. Where was I? Uh, The terms the ocean, or the sea, used without specification, refer to the interconnected body of salt water covering the majority of the Earth's surface. Includes the seas that I mentioned. Uh Too lazy. As a general term, the ocean is interchangeable with the sea. Yeah. In American English, but not in British English. Of course, they've yeah. got to be uppity. No, those Brits need specificity. 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 Strictly speaking, a sea is a body of water, generally a division of the world ocean, partly or fully enclosed by land. The word sea can also be used for many specific, much smaller bodies of seawater, such as the North Sea Uh or the Red Sea. Right. Or the Black Sea. There is no sharp distinction between seas and oceans, though generally seas are smaller and often partly or wholly bordered by land. Makes sense. The contemporary concept of the world ocean was coined in... What? Do you mean to stop? No. <laughs> was coined in the early 20th century by the Yush- Russian, I almost said Yushin. By the Yushins. The Yushins. <laughs> by the Russian oceanographer Yuli Shokolsky to refer to the continuous ocean that covers and encircles most of Earth. The global inter- interconnected body of saltwater is sometimes referred to as the world ocean or global ocean. The concept of a continuous body of water with relatively free interchange among its parts is of fundamental importance to oceanography. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. You know how oceanographers do. In oceanography. We're so well-versed in it. Yeah. I could talk about oceanography for hours. I know really. so much about it. Say that word again. <laughs> Salinity. 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 Salt. <laughs> Salinity is a measure of the total amounts of dissolved salts in seawater. It was originally measured via measurement of the amount of chloride in seawater and hence termed chlorinity. Uh It is now routinely measured by measuring electrical conductivity of the water sample. Salinity can be calculated using the chlorinity. There's a lot of entities going on here. (laughs) Which is the measure of the total mass of halogen ions in seawater. All There's right. math involved. Oh, I'm I skipping it. Can't thank you. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> salinity has a major influence on the density of seawater. Right. A zone of rapid salinity increase with depths is called a uh, halcycline, I think. Uh, the temperature of maximum density of seawater decreases as its salt content increases. Freezing temperature of water decreases with salinity, and boiling temperature of water increases with salinity. Right. Typical seawater freezes at around negative two degrees Celsius Mm -hmm. atmospheric pressure. If precipitation exceeds evaporation, as is the case in polar and temperate regions, salinity will be lower. If evaporation exceeds precipitation, as is sometimes the case in tropical regions, salinity will be higher. Okay. However, the formation of sea ice at high latitudes excludes salt from the ice and thereby increases salinity in the residual seawater in some polar regions. Uh, life. What did you talk about again? Just a story of someone being German. I'm <laughs> just going to start. Just a story. Life within the ocean evolved three billion years prior to life on land. 
Both the depth and the distance from shore strongly influence the biodiversity of plants and animals present in each region. We all came from fish. (sighs) I thought we all came from apes. But where did apes come from? From fish. We all all came came from from fish. We're all fucking fish. Yep, we're all fish. The diversity of life in the ocean is immense, including animals (laughs) (laughs) and other creatures. (laughs) There are definitely animals in there. I'm almost certain... There are animals in the ocean. If I could put my finger on it right now. <laughs> I, would I would bet at least $10. That there's at least one animal in the ocean. There's got to be one. We haven't done an episode on sharks or anything. <laughs> Most animal phyla have species that inhabit the ocean, including many that are only found in marine environments, such as sponges. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Cinderia, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, which are corals and jellyfish. Coral. Comb jellies, brachiopods, and um, echinoderms. Yeah. Such as sea urchins and sea stars, as an example. Did I say sea anemones? Did I say anemones? Many other familiar animal groups primarily live in the ocean, including cephalopods, which are octopus and squid, crustaceans, lobsters, crabs, and shrimp. And then there's fish, sharks, um, whales, dolphins, and porpoises. And then these really scary motherfuckers right here. Yeah, anglerfish. Yeah. Little assholes. And then, of course, we have seabirds, sea snakes, seabirds such as the penguins, seagulls, and pelicans. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. Did you think there were birds swimming in the ocean? I was imagining a hawk, like, fly- <laughs> <laughs> flying through the ocean. Like through the water. Seven species of turtles. Hmm. Good times. I like turtles. Plants, such as seagrasses or mangroves. Mm-hmm. Algae, 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 bacteria, which is in everything. We're all bacteria. Yeah, there's tons of it in our bodies. Fungi, mm-hmm. which is also a compliment. Mm-hmm. Good old killer whales, you know, stuff that lives in the ocean. Yeah. Good times. Good times. But it's scary because the ocean's really deep. The ocean is very deep. I hope you talk about that because it's, the deeper you go, it's, uh, the more scary shit you find in the water and we just like i mean just like on land we don't know all of everything that exists on land but especially in water when it comes to our oceans there's still so many life forms that we have not discovered yet in the very deep depths of the water well the pacific ocean has a max depth of three i'm sorry 36,161 feet the atlantic ocean has 27,841 27,841 yeah, yeah. 27,841. Indian Ocean is 26,401. Arctic Ocean is 17,881. And it goes into the seas and stuff. Yeah. But there is one location, the Mariana Trench. Mm-hmm. It is located in the western Pacific Ocean, about 124 miles east of the Mariana Islands. And it is the deepest oceanic trench on Earth. It is crescent-shaped and measures about 1,580 miles in length and 43 miles in width. The maximum known depth is 36,037 feet, which is 6.825 miles. Yeah. Didn't Elon Musk go down there? I thought that, uh, what's his name, James Cameron. James Cameron went down there. Yeah, Elon Musk did not explore the ocean. Okay, well, it's something Elon Musk would do. <laughs> Elon Musk and his child that's named after, like, a serial barcode. <laughs> do you see his kid's name? 
X-E-A-12-E. No shit. I'm not kidding. I'm going to look it up for you right oh now. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's fucked up. Elon Musk child. That seems like something that Elon Musk would do. But yes, James Cameron went to the Mariana. That is his child's name. Mariana Trench. What a... He hates him. Fucking asshole. Who does that to their kid? Must be a terrible child. <laughs> God. That poor infant baby. <laughs> it's going to grow up... If, here I'm thinking he's like gonna go to public schools and shit. Because <laughs> that's just what I did. No, no, he's gonna go to an expensive school for like rich kids that has a secret sex cult. And and no professor is gonna have to ever pronounce his name because they're just gonna no. know who he is. They're just they're, gonna be like Elon Musk's child. <laughs> He'll be like present. They're not gonna do roll call like the substitute teacher from Kane Peel. No. <laughs> Balake. <laughs> Jake Quillen. <laughs> However, some unrepeated measurements place the deepest portion at 36,201 feet. If Mount Everest were hypothetically placed into the trench at this point, its peak would still be underwater by more than 1.2 miles. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so the deepest the ocean part is deep. The deepest part of the ocean is deeper than the tallest mountain on land. How did at the bottom of the trench, the water column above exerts a pressure of 15,750 PSI, more than 1,071 times the standard atmospheric pressure at sea level. Yeah, it'd blow you up. Yeah, it would. The temperature at the bottom is 34 to 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Nice and cozy. In 2009, the Marianas Trench was established as a U.S. National Monument. A U.S. National Monument. Are you making fun of the way I speak? Hmm. That seems low. It's not like we do it all the time on this. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that once. <laughs> Wait, it's a monument? A national monument? A U.S. national monument. Wait, why is it a U.S. national monument? Because the U.S. takes what they want. But it's like so far away from the U.S. It's fine. Don't question it. But it's like the, that's, that'll be the one monument that I'll probably never get to be able to visit. And that's, that's you're just going to take a little boat out in the Pacific Ocean to Mariana's Trench. Yeah. If you, do you have a list of national monuments that you want to see? I'll swim down there. Well, we saw one. There was an expedition conducted in 1960, which claimed to observe, with great surprise because of the high pressure, large creatures living at the bottom, such as a flatfish, about 12 inches long, and shrimp. According to Picard, not the guy from Star Trek, the bottom appeared light and clear, a waste of firm uh, (laughs) diatomaceous ooze. Oh. I don't like anything being called ooze. It's oozy. Many marine biologists are now skeptical of the supposed sighting of the flatfish, and it is suggested that the creature may instead have been a sea cucumber. (laughs) How do you get those two confused? (sighs) During the second expedition, the unmanned vehicle Keiko collected mud samples, or Keiko, collected mud samples from the seabed. Tiny organisms were found to be living in those samples. I don't doubt it. In July 2011, a research expedition deployed untethered landers called drop cams, equipped with digital video cameras, and lights to explore this region of the deep sea. Among many other living organisms, some gigantic single-celled amoebas with a size of more than four inches were observed. Wow. Those are big amoebas. That's a big amoeba, yeah. It's crazy. Big boy. In December of 2014, a new species of snailfish was discovered at a depth of 26,722 feet, breaking the previous record for the deepest living fish seen on video. Wow. During the 2014 expedition, several new species were filmed, including huge uh, 
amphiophods, known as supergiants. Deep sea gigantism is the process where species grow larger than their shallow water relatives. Yeah, that's scary. In May of 2017, an, identif- an unidentified type of snailfish was filmed at a depth of 26,800 feet. Did we talk about giant squids? We did. Because we talked about the kraken. Okay. Yeah, I think I talked... We, one of us may have talked briefly about deep sea gigantism, and that's terrifying. Uh, like other oceanic trenches, the Mariana Trench has been proposed as a site for nuclear waste disposable disposal Why? in 1972, in the hope that tectonic plate subduction occurring at the site might eventually push the nuclear waste deep into the Earth's mantle. Because that's safe. <laughs> push nuclear explosive close to lava. That works. Where should we put all of this garbage? I don't know. Near just the, something fiery. The deepest point of our earth. Yeah. Just, just get it as far away it from us as toss possible. Toss it in there. I'm having flashbacks to Garbage Island. Yeah, you're still littering. It's just long distance littering. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Out of sight, out of mind, right? <laughs> exactly. Silly, silly people. Why aren't we just launching things into space? Wouldn't it just all come back? Uh, not if you shoot it, you know, like far enough. There was out a of Futurama our... episode about this. Oh, we have yeah. oh, to learn. You know what? Yeah, giant ball of garbage. Fuck. And Forgot Matt Groening that. predicted the future on so many things yeah. on The Simpsons. So, do you really want to question that? No. See that? See that seems smart, but then Futurama yep. did it. So. Yep. Exactly. Backfired. Mm-hmm. Bart Simpsons came back. Remember? <laughs> Embarrassing. Now to move on, thalassophobia yes. is the. Persistent and intense fear of deep bodies of water, such as the sea, oceans, pools, or lakes. Though very closely related, thalassophobia should not be take, mistaken with aquaphobia, which is classified as a fear of water itself. Uh-huh. How do you fear water? Uh, if you have rabies. Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Look at you, smarty pants. Yep. Thalassophobia can include fear of being in deep bodies of water, fear of the vast emptiness of the ocean, or sea, uh, sea waves, sea creatures, and fear of distance from land. Yes. The causes of thalassophobia are not clear and are a subject of research by medical professionals, as they can vary greatly between individuals. Researchers have proposed that the fear of large bodies of water is partly a human evolutionary response. I would imagine like a fear of heights. Right. And may also be related to popular culture influences, which induce fright and distress. Mm. The severity of thalassophobia and the signs and symptoms associated with it are quite fluid and complex. <laughs> They're fluid, huh? <laughs> you From thalassophobia, go through numerous episodes of emotional and physical anguish caused by a variety of triggers. Treatment may compromise a combination of, may comprise of a combination of therapy um, and I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> pronounce it for me. A-N-X-I-O-Lytics. Anxiolytics? Anxiolytics. That's what, I, that's what I would say. And is most effective when administered to patients during childhood when thalassophobia is generally at its peak. Yeah. I guess as a kid, I would be more scared of large bodies of water. Yeah, if you were in the middle of the ocean and, and you're all, so you could, tiny. all you could see is water. Yeah. Disposable. I mean, not disposable. <laughs> <laughs> you're so tiny and disposable. <laughs> Whoops. 
Uh, it is thought that the fear of large bodies of water is an evolutionary and ancestral trait. <laughs> Passed on from generation to generation, humans prefer certainty to risk and adapt based on learning history and situational variables. A 2016 study by Nicholas Carlton, not Nicholas Cage, establishes that the fear of unknown is an evolutionary mechanism that has driven the survival of the human race since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Showing fear toward deep bodies of water is in effect justified since ancestors to the human race understood that their survival was reliant on remaining in territorial land and not aquatic environments. This, in return, developed into a fundamental fear passing down from generation to generation in order to ensure the survival of humankind. Interesting. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Martin Antony, a professor of psychology at Ryerson University and co-author of the Anti-Anxiety Workbook, states that... Oh, I need that. (laughs) Yeah, you do. States that from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense that humans would develop a tendency to fear and avoid deep water... Because of all the associated risks. Mm -hmm. He continues by saying, we are essentially programmed through evolution to fear some situations. Heights, deep water, snakes, more easily than others. Flowers, teddy bears. I fear teddy bears. They're frightening. I love grizzly bears. I'm going to pet one and die. (laughs) That's how I'm going to go. Hugging a grizzly. That's how I want to go. Shredded by claws. In Judeo-Christian belief systems, the sea is often depicted as a space of disaster and punishment. This is evident in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, through stories such as the, um, as Noah's Ark. Yeah. And uh, texts like William Shakespeare's The Tempest featured a shipwreck as the driving force behind its narrative and gave the sea an otherworldly and evil personification. Hmm. And then, of course, movies such as Jaws, Titanic. Yeah. We talk about Jaws and Sharks episode. Uh, other causes of thalassophobia could be a negative or past traumatic event, such as your parent throwing you into the pool on the deep end to teach you to swim, which seemed to be a common occurrence for a lot of people. Yep. What happened to my little sister? <laughs> I just figured it out. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I got, it's like riding a bike. <laughs> Toss. It's like, that's not like riding a bike at all. Where are the handlebars? <laughs> I can't drown if I fall off of a bike, no. but I, I sure as I hell sure can. I sure as hell can in this pool. <laughs> Traumatic experiences of being frightened while swimming or almost drowning are also leading causes of thalassophobia. In addition to this, observing others, particularly parental figures and other influential adults who also had a fear of deep water, are considered contributing factors. Factors. What is a factor? For developing thalassophobia later in life. Scientists also believe that genetics and biological heredity play a major role in attaining a fear of seas, oceans, and lakes. Such genetic factors include having a family member with thalassophobia, personal mental states such as being negative, sensitive, or anxious, and even hearing terrifying stories on water accidents. Yeah. Thalassophobia is characterized by certain physical and emotional traits exhibited by an individual. The reaction that those who suffer from thalassophobia... Thalassophobia show toward large bodies of water does not match the level of danger that the water poses to them. Right. Hence, they illustrate abnormal behavior under situations or environments which trigger their fear. Anxiety-induced phobia, such as thalassophobia, presents itself through specific signs and symptoms. Constant worrying, trouble falling or staying asleep, panic and anxiety attacks, having a sense of imminent doom, Needing to escape, feeling detached from the situation, being overwhelmed, 
Those are mental yeah. common phobias or common symptoms. Um, physical symptoms include shortness of breath, sweating, shaking or trembling at the side of the sea, weeping or running away when near deep bodies of water, nausea, dizziness, rapid breathing, screaming or shouting at the side of the sea. Ah, the sea! Ah! 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 The ocean! <laughs> And everyone at the beach is just like, yeah, good job. It's the ocean. Yeah, chill out, please. We don't understand. So scary. According to the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, the fifth edition. Oh, wow. Which is a manual for assessment and diagnosis of mental disorders developed by the American Psychiatric Association. Hmm. In order to be diagnosed with a phobia of deep bodies of water, the individual's fear of deep water must be persistent, excessive, and unreasonable. Mm -hmm. The individual must feel this fear every time they are exposed to deeper open water. They must either avoid the ocean or other open bodies of water or endure them with intense fear. The individual's fear of large bodies of water interferes with their normal functioning. And the individual's fear has been present for six months or longer. Oh. As far as treatment goes, cognitive behavioral therapy. We've been there before. Yep. We've both done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Systematic desensitization. Yep. And exposure therapy. Yes. Which we talked about before. As well as medications that can be used Mm -hmm. to treat your reactions to it. Yeah. Got one other part, but I don't know if I want to do it. Uh, no, I'll leave it there. I gotta pee. Okay, go pee. I'm gonna. You should get a chiropractor. Go see a chiropractor. That was random. And fix your knee. Go. You said your knee hurts. It does hurt. It always hurts. Oh, go see a. I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna fall over. Go see a, a bone doctor. <laughs> doctor? Mm. I'll give you a bone doctor. Okay. Oh. Alright, lay it on me. I just smacked myself in the face. <laughs> Oh, waiting for my computer to wake up. All right. I had a lot of talking to do, so not nope. surprised it fell asleep. I got a lot of talking to do. Do you really? Yes. I have, right. I have a long story. Okay. Long story. Long story. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So I select on my research again. I uh, did it last minute, and I didn't really know what I wanted to cover. Um, I mean, it's a very broad topic that we chose the sea. So I was very conflicted as to what I wanted to cover. I want to read an article. I'm going to be lazy. I didn't do any of my own research. I'm just going to read this thing. It's a long story, mm-hmm. um, but it's about a man who was stranded. I genuinely love those movies. He was lost at sea. Like This is kind of like Castaway, like a real life Castaway. Love castaway. Um, Tom Hanks. Oh. So the title of this article is How Jose Salvador Alvarenga Survived 438 Days Adrift on the Open Seas. That is so long. It's over a year. Two fishermen, one perfect storm, an incredible story of human survival on the open seas was about to begin. Why is it slow charging? By Jonathan Franklin. Published November 19, 2015. On November 17, 2012, Jose Salvador Alvarenga, 37, and Ezekiel Cordoba, 22, set out from the small fishing village of Costa Azul on the coast of Mexico to begin a 30-hour deep-sea fishing shift. Their vessel was a 7-meter fiberglass boat containing a refrigerator-sized icebox in which to stash their planned haul of shark, sailfish, and marlin. But when a violent storm front began its advance from the northeast, 
The two men soon found themselves battling 5 meter high waves and 100 kilometer per hour winds. I don't know what that is in miles per hour. Within hours, both the motor on their boat and their radio had died. Their colleagues launched search and rescue missions for two weeks to no avail. Avarenga and Cordoba and their vessel appeared to have vanished into thin air. November 23rd, 2012, day 6. 450 kilometers off Mexico's coast. After five days of careening waves and screaming wind, the storm finally eased. Miraculously, the two men's boat had not flipped. The sea anchor off the stern had aligned the bow to the oncoming waves and allowed the men to survive day after day, bashing and crashing through incoming waves. Now they awoke to a freakish calm. As Alvarenga and Cordoba scanned the horizon, the lack of waves distorted their depth perception. A styrofoam block just a kilometer away could be distorted into looking like an aircraft carrier on the horizon. Objects 30 meters deep were magnified and distorted by, by the water. Like a traveler lost in a desert, the men had no certainty that what they saw or heard actually existed. Puddles of seawater sloshed at their ankles, a reminder that despite nonstop ba uh, bailing, the two men had never fully emptied the boat of water. The Yamaha motor lacked cover and cord. It looked naked. Nearly all the fishing gear was floating in the sea kilometers away, and their fouled communications gear now lay at the bottom of the ocean. Taking stock of their tools and supplies was disturbingly quick. A long wooden plank, one gray bucket with some clothes, a battered fishing knife with a cracked handle, a trusty machete, a wooden club, the empty icebox with lid, a pile of bleach bottles, a small pile of nylon rope, the useless motor, and one red onion found wedged under a seat after the five-day tumult. How did an onion get wedged under the seat? I don't know. That's what I take away from that. Yeah, some guy put it there and just <laughs> forgot about it and well, that's weird. Or had it been a four-day storm? Time was increasingly elastic in this world without clocks or calendars. Oh, this is a long story. Commit to it. Okay, oh, this is this is going to take a while. Buckle up. As the morning sunlight comforted and warmed them, the fishermen hoisted the two-meter-long wooden plank from the door, laid it across two benches that crossed the boat like central ribs, and prepared a bed. The men stripped off their wet clothes and, clad only in underwear, stretched out to sop up the first glints of sunlight. They collapsed into a deep sleep. They awoke with a painful thirst. Coconuts were everywhere, and the floating fruit tortured Alvarenga. He could see them swirl by, could almost taste the chilled coconut water. He spotted a solitary bobbing sphere, then an entire clutch of coconuts like huge grapes drifted near and lured him, dared him to swim out. Alvarenga was not tempted. He knew the risks, even if he didn't actually see the fins of patrolling sharks. If they had... If they'd had either a sail or a pair of oars, the men could have set a course, but lacking the tools, they drifted at the whim of the wind and ocean currents. Why couldn't they just paddle with their little fingies? Swerving, looping, and zigzagging across the wide open Pacific, as they drifted west at approximately 120 kilometers a day, the nearest landmass in their path was a single tiny blip on the map. Clipperton Island, a remnant of Napoleonic conquest, still under French rule, but a lonely outpost, outpost 1,600 kilometers west. To the south, the closest islands were the Galapagos, 1,770 kilometers distant on the other side of the equator. Alvarenga sensed they were in a different world. The sea was so calm it was unnerving. The temperature soared above 30 degrees Celsius, very hot. 
and the dry air teased the remaining moisture from their bodies. When Alvarenga swallowed, the spittle seemed to bump and rattle down his throat. He worried that his throat might swell and cut off access to his stomach. Was this the way he was going to die? Cordoba's lips were swollen to twice their normal size and sucked dry by the sun began to crack. Red welts caused by salt blocking up his sweat pores began to pop out along his arms and legs, breaking the layers of skin that were now shrunken and tight. It felt like his skin would pop open and lay bare the muscles and tendons beneath. Lethargy laid siege to his normal functions. November 25th, 2012, Day 8. As they drifted southwest, Alvarenga cried... Alvarenga eyed the small triggerfish, 18 centimeters long, that had been chewing on his boat the night before. Known as sea piranhas, the triggerfish practically sanded the bottom of the boat clean with their teeth. He kneeled alongside the edge of the boat, eyes scanning for sharks, and shoved his arms into the water up to his shoulders. With his chest tightly pressed to the side of the boat, Alvarenga set a trap for the fish. He kept his hands steady, about 30 centimeters apart. When a fish swam between them, he smashed them shut, digging his fingernails into the rough scales. Soon he was able to capture as many as many as 30 of the small fish in a single session. The men set up a mini fish processing plant. Alvarenga would snare them, and with the fishing knife, Cordoba ex- expertly cleaned and sliced the flesh into finger-sized strips that were left to dry in the sun. When Cordoba dumped the bloody innards of the palm-sized triggerfish into the water, it was rarely more than a few minutes before mako and blue sharks feasted. The one-meter-long sharks scraped their rough skin along the bottom of the boat, sending up a jolting blow and a noisy reminder of how little separated these two worlds were. Alvarenga began to drink his urine. He wasn't embarrassed, and he encouraged Cordoba to follow suit. It was salty, but not revolting as he drank, urinated, drank again, peed again in a cycle that felt like it provided at least minimal hydration to his body. But urine being filled with salts throws the body's internal equilibrium off balance and requires the body to consume even more precious water in an attempt to flush out the salts. It was, both men realized, a desperate measure. December 10, 2012, Day 23. 1480 kilometers off of Mexico's coast. With their rainwater collection exhausted once more, a dehydrated Cordoba pleaded with Alvarenga, Oranges, bring me oranges. Alvarenga stood above the prone man and assured him food was close. Okay, I'm going to the store. I will see if it's open to bring you some food, he said with conviction as he pointed to the horizon. I will get tamales, oranges, and shrimp. Alvarenga strode with confidence for the few seconds it took to cross the length of the boat. After waiting for five minutes in silence, he strode back with bad news. The store is closed, but don't worry, they open in an hour and they have fresh tortillas. To his surprise, the scheme worked. Cordoba stopped moaning and fell asleep. The game of visiting the store brought Alvarenga a few hours of respite from the cloud of fear that had seized Cordoba's mind and rarely loosened its grip on the despairing young fisherman. He had begun to shrink, especially around his eyes, and Alvarenga could avoid... No- couldn't avoid noticing the similarity between the skull and crossbones insignia stamped on the younger man's hoodie and his ever more bony face. Alvarenga's girth, too, was several sizes smaller and his strength was ebbing away, but his mind remained sharp. Fifteen years older and a veteran of countless misadventures at sea, Alvarenga maintained an indef- indefatigable. Do you want me to look at it? <laughs> what? Indefatigable. We're supposed to know that. Alvarenga maintained an indefatigable will to survive, but ravaged by thirst and hunger, he recognized their collective health was slipping rapidly. Yet all around them, the sea teemed with life. 
Alvarenga fe- felt he was in a cage where food was showcased tantalizingly just out of reach. Above their boat, the sky was dotted with the angular wings of gliding seabirds. On the horizon, fish chased by predators left out of the ocean. At sea level, islands of refuse washed by. Alvarenga, a skilled hunter on land, began to stalk the seabirds. Crouched flat like a soldier crawling through a battlefield, Alvarenga waited for a bird to land. When it first perched, the bird was attentive for several minutes, swinging its eyes, surveying the scene. Alvarenga didn't move. Instead, he waited until the bird's defenses relaxed. When the bird busied itself, eating fleas, lice, or whatever parasites lurked deep inside its plumage, he inched across the deck of the boat. Alvarenga avoided eye contact as he stalked his prey. When he crept closer, the bird snapped to attention, so Alvarenga froze again as the bird resumed preening. When his prey was within reach, Alvarenga slid his arm up the side of the boat, his fingers clenched in a fist. Then he extended his fingers in slow motion, careful not to scrape the side of the boat. In a lightning instant, he had the bird's neck in one hand and a leg in the other, wary of stories that wild birds aim for the eyeball. Alvarenga kept the thrashing bird, which he called a duck, at arm's length until a short crack confirmed he had broken its neck. An expert with a knife, Alvarenga felt like he was showing off as he cleaned the meager catch and laid out strips of glistening flesh. He added his only condiment, drops of seawater, onto the strips warmed in the afternoon sun. He and Cordoba sat down to eat. Alvarenga popped a sashimi-sized chunk of raw duck, quote, duck, into his mouth and chewed with gusto. Cordoba made a costly mistake. He smelled the seabird meat. Unlike his mate who conjured gourmet flavors, Cordoba was revolted at the stench like that of rotten fish. For four days, Alvarenga alternatively threatened and cajoled the younger man to eat raw bird meat. Finally, the despondent mate took a tentative bite. Hunger had vanquished revulsion. Now in their fourth week adrift, the two men abandoned traditional modesty and walked naked, squatted on the rim of the boat next to the motor to defecate into the sea, then washed themselves with seawater. To pee, they stood and urinated into the ocean. From roughly 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., the men escaped the sun by living inside the icebox. It was crowded, stinky, uncomfortable, and painful to wedge two bodies into the box, but the men recognized that this inconvenience mattered little compared with the shelter it provided from the harsh sun. December 23, 2012, Day 36 Watching the moon grow bright, Alvarenga calculated Christmas was near. He diced four entire birds for their big meal. He had now learnt not to pluck the feathers, but to expertly peel the skin off the birds. A full bird, including the gut, provided as much meat as a hamburger, while salt water helped mask the stench. On the evening, they estimated was Christmas Eve, as the men chatted, cleaned the birds, and commenced their traditional meal, if there could be anything traditional about slicing, dicing, and eating raw sea ducks. Cordoba coughed. My stomach, he groaned as his eyes bulged like he was going to be sick. Bubbles and liquid dribbled from his mouth as a sudden wrenching pain convulsed his body. Alvarenga handed him a half-liter bottle filled with rainwater, and ignoring their rations, Cordoba sucked the bottle down and then spat it out. Whatever had taken hold of his gut held tight and the pain intensified. The men dissected the intestines of Cordoba's duck and found a 15-centimeter articulated skeleton. The skin had fallen off and most of the meat was gone, but enough remained for them to identify the remains of a venomous, yellow-bellied sea snake. Mm. Chanka, there's a sea- there's a snake inside here, Cordoba exclaimed. Yeah, and you already ate it, responded Alvarenga. Shit, I'm going to vomit, stuttered Cordoba. 
as he screamed and spewed white bubbles. Alvarengo wondered if the poison had entered his mate's bloodstream. Was it fatal? How did it kill victims? Watching as a bubbly foam leaked out of his companion's mouth and listening to his guttural groans, Alvarenga considered his own fate. Had he also been poisoned? Alvarenga didn't get sick, and after four hours of retching and coughing, Cordoba stabilized. The men huddled, looking for subtle signs of improvement, aware the poison might have spread to other organs. The men tried to recall cases of bites by the yellow-bellied snake, but they had only heard third-hand versions, and their own only firm conclusion was that even the most hardened fishermen gave the snake a wide berth and tried to decapitate, decapitate it with a machete. The venom was not fatal, and Cordoba made a full physical recovery within two days. But in the realm of psychological terror, the poison possessed him. He wretched at the thought of eating another raw seabird and withdrew from the world of food. Never again would he feast on one of Alvarenga's ducks. With two decades' experience at sea, Alvarenga was an environment that felt like home. Cordoba was confused and lost. The back-and-forth swells and rocking were driving him mad. Could they just be still for a minute? When the waves were more than a meter high, and especially when the wind made them choppy, he began to vomit. It was a crude symptom of his overall physiological collapse. The two castaways were starting to veer off on different trajectories. March 1st to 2013, day 104. 4,180 kilometers off of Mexico's coast. Even with a new stock of water, courtesy of a storm, and a more reliable food supply, Cordoba sank deeper into depression. Both men were now fully hydrated, but since the fateful dinner with the snake, Cordoba had maintained his steadfast refusal to eat raw birds. As he withered and shriveled, his arms began to look like sticks. His thighs were reduced to the size of a forearm. Are you going to eat me? Cordoba asked. Alvarenga joked that his mate was so emaciated that there was hardly any meat left. And besides, said Alvarenga, they had a stock of three live turtles, a small flock of birds, and dried strips of fish. To keep the captive birds from flying off, Alvarenga would break the bones in one wing. It was a cruel measure, but an essential part of his survival. Alvarenga's bird hunting techniques were now so effective he was eating a bird every day, sometimes two, and his weight had stabilized. Cordoba tolerated the occasional turtle meat and fresh triggerfish, but there was never enough to slow his overall deterioration. Fear of food had become his new mantra. He asked Alvarenga to make a promise. Don't eat me, he begged. If I die, put my body up on the prow. Tie me to the front of the boat. Stop talking nonsense. No one is dying, Alvarenga replied, though he suspected this, I'd was, eat him. this was no longer true. I'd eat him. Even after the venom? I'd eat him. Cordoba imagined it was better to die in the ocean than starve to death in the boat and concocted a kamikaze plan. He would wait for the shark pack to thicken and then jump into the water. When the sharks were gorging on bird entrails, he moved near the edge of the boat. Goodbye, Chanka, he said and prepared to throw himself over the rail. Alvarenga grabbed the skinny young mate. They fought and wrestled, but Alvarenga overpowered Cordoba and a bear hug dragged him along the floor and stuffed him into the icebox. Cordoba began to bang and thrash, but the icebox alone weighed close to 50 kilograms, and with Alvarenga climbing atop, Cordoba found it impossible to tilt the box to one side and escape. You need to stop thinking about killing yourself, Alvarenga yelled through its walls. When Cordoba calmed, Alvarenga slid off the top of the icebox, lifted the edge, and crawled inside. The two men talked. Alvarenga listened to Cordoba's arguments that their deaths was inevitable, and in response he outlined a recovery plan. They just had to hold out to maintain reliable access to shade, water, and nourishment. 
This is such a story, and we can tell it. We have to fight to tell our story, argued Alvarenga. Cordoba's defiance resumed. He angrily demanded the opportunity to end his own life. When Alvarenga again restrained him inside the box, Cordoba began to beat his fists against his face and slam his head into the wall. Alvarenga watched as his partner rolled into a fetal ball, cried loudly, screamed, yelled, then finally fell asleep. March 15th, 2013, day 118. There's 438 of these days. (laughs) Doesn't go through the whole article. Oh, thank God. I am dying. I am dying. I am almost gone, said Cordoba one morning before breakfast. Don't think about that. Let's take a nap, said Alvarenga as he lay alongside Cordoba. I am tired. I want water, Cordoba moaned. His breath was rough. Alvarenga retrieved the water bottle and put it to Cordoba's mouth, but his mate did not swallow. Instead, he stretched out. His body shook in short convulsions. He groaned, and his body tensed up. Don't die, said Alvarenga, who suddenly panicked. He screamed into Cordoba's face. Don't leave me alone. You have to fight for life. What am I going to do here alone? Cordoba didn't reply. Moments later, he died with his eyes open. I propped him up on the bench to keep him out of the water, said Alvarenga. I was afraid a wave might wash him out of the boat. I cried for hours. Alvarenga woke the next morning, climbed out of the icebox, and stared at Cordoba in the bow of the boat, sitting on the bench like a sunbather. Alvarenga queried the corpse. How do you feel? How was your sleep? Alvarenga answered his own questions aloud as if he were Cordoba speaking from the afterlife. Yes, I already ate. And you? Continued Alvarenga, talking to Cordoba. Me too, he answered as if he was Cordoba. I ate in the kingdom of heaven. The conversation continued as if they were two chetty mates eating a leisurely breakfast. Alvarenga decided the easiest way to deal with losing his only companion was to simply pretend he hadn't died. Throughout the day, Alvarenga treated the corpse like a friend with whom he could share fears, thoughts, and stream-of-consciousness stories. Why don't we go to Tonala, the Mexican city where fishermen from their region regularly partied? Have some beers, a great dinner. First, I'll take a shower. I have my clothes ironed and ready. I have good shoes, too. On the second day after death, Cordoba's body turned purple as the conversations unfolded. During day three, his skin began to cook in the sun. Like dry leather, it developed a crusty edge. I touched him and he was solid, said Alvarenga. He never smelled, he just dried up in the sun. It did not disgust me at all. It seemed normal. I hugged him. By the fourth day, Cordoba was nearly black, and Alvarenga had fully incorporated the corpse into his daily routines, bidding it buenos dias, buenas tardes, and buenas noches. Then Alvarenga began to sing hymns to the corpse. He was certain Cordoba was listening and watched intently to see if the body moved. How is death? Alvarenga asked. I want to know, my friend. Is it painful? Death is beautiful. I am waiting for you, Alvarenga answered as if Cordoba were speaking aloud. I don't want to go, retorted Alvarenga. I am not headed that way. This soliloquy with the corpse wreaked havoc on Alvarenga's sanity. He started to go mad. He couldn't imagine surviving alone in the boat. Despite their fundamental character differences, the men had worked as a team, hunted together, suffered for months, and shared a common fate. Maybe death was not such a dark path, Alvarenga thought as he spent hours staring at his dead mate. Six days after Cordoba's death, Alvarenga sat with the body on a moonless night, in full conversation with the mummified corpse when, as if waking from a dream, he was suddenly shocked to find he was conversing with the dead. I tried to throw his body into the ocean, but I couldn't. Later in the evening, he tried again. First, I washed his feet. His clothes were useful, so I stripped off a pair of shorts and a sweatshirt put that on. It was red, with a little skull and crossbones, and then I dumped him in. As I slid him into the water, 
I fainted. On January 30th, 2014, 14 months after his disappearance and 8,850 kilometers from his point of origin, Alvarenga washed ashore on Ebon Atoll in the Marshall Islands. He was treated at a hospital before being flown to El Salvador, where he was reunited with his ecstatic parents and daughter. Some people doubted that his extraordinary tale of survival could be true, but the testimonies of the doctors who examined him and of oceanographers who plotted the journey he took, taking into account prevailing winds and currents, were overwhelmingly in support of him. In April 2014, Alvarenga's lawyer announced that his client had passed a lie detector test. That's it. That was fucking wild. I would have eaten him. Um, I don't know. That would have been very hard to do. Um, this is uh, Jose Salvador Alvarenga before and after. Wow, that's crazy. That's a long time. I guess if he was a stranger, I would have eaten him. It would be very hard for you to eat somebody that you know. Um, and that was only 118 days. Mm-hmm. 118 days in, and his friend died. And he still had... Um, about 310, almost a year left. Um, by himself. By himself. That's crazy. And I guess he just continued doing that icebox for shelter. Food. It's miraculous that his boat never flipped. Yeah, or I wonder if they encountered rough seas at some point. And um, then he finally washed ashore. There is... Um, on the Wikipedia page hmm. for this guy, he is still alive. Mm-hmm. He was born 1975. Uh, this was the voyage that he took. I think he's younger than my dad. So from uh, near, wow. near Guatemala. Whoa, he coasted so far. Yes. Man. So uh, <laughs> that's the sea and how frightening it can be. Um, <laughs> you rhymed. And how frightening it can be, yeah. Uh, but in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight, mm. you know, and just floating out there and being, uh, it's like being in the desert, mm. essentially, you know, it's uh, frightening. It's terrifying. I feel like it's crueler to be surrounded by a body of water with no food or water and you just want to drink the ocean water. Yeah. And that is such a bad idea. Yep. No, you'll die. I, and I was looking up the lassophobia and a lot of people, it's um, like the fear of things that exist in the water you know mm-hmm. um or just the fear of open water like you mentioned oh, it's always like a drawing of like a sea monster yeah so but i mean i think that's a perfect example of someone who could be afraid of the open water mm-hmm. after a uh, over a year's worth of trauma it's uh, you know we should have talked about uh that famous surfer girl who got her arm bit off by a shark and then went back to surfing oh yeah we should have talked about that in sharks yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah, I talked about that guy who got bit. Eh. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Oh, you want me to ask? You get so offended. What do you think of the beer? I was going to give you a chance. Oh. Trying to be nice. Oh. You know. You didn't, you hardly drank any. Um, well, I had that beer before that, so it was just kind of like, my stomach's empty, so. It just kind of seemed like a bad You idea. need to eat something. <laughs> You're right. You're not wrong. Um, I've kind of been... Not really impressed with the beers lately. Kind of just been like... Maybe we need to try more uh, wild beers. Mm-hmm. You know, different things. But 
you know, it's. I think we have a good variety. You know, it's like we try some beers we're used to, APAs, IPAs, etc. Uh, we had a Hefeweizen. That was incredible. Uh, I want more of those. Maybe do another Pilsner. Uh, let's get some more stouts in our rotation. I don't know. Just keep it, uh, keep the variety going. But um, I get what you're saying. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a beer. <laughs> you know, I don't want to downplay it that yeah, bad. It's like, oh yeah, there's yeast and then there's, uh, you know, a little bit of fruit and then the hop flavor. Yep. It's a beer. And we're on 54 beers. I mean, including our bonus episode. So, so this is a, this is a 12 ounce can, right? Uh-huh. One pint. So, uh, if we take an average, because most of those are anywhere from 8 to 12 ounces. So, we'll say 10 ounces. 10 ounces times um, 54 uh-huh. is 540 mm-hmm. ounces. Um, and if we do the conversion, uh, 4.219 U.S. liquid gallons. So, we've had 54 episodes, an average of about 10 ounces per beer. Some episodes, we've had two beers. Um, but at about an average, we've both drank four over four gallons of beer since we started this podcast. <laughs> so much beer. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like you know, like a milk gallon. Four of those of beer we've had. Grab the handle, boys. Yeah. We're going in. That's a lot of beer. Jesus. I remember our anniversary episode. We calculated about how much we've spent on beer. I don't want to do that again. Um, we, I don't like that. We we drink a lot of beer. Um, but I'm glad I only I only usually drink beer on on the podcast days. So. Mm. My personal opinion of it, there is some potential, but it was just another APA. Yep, nothing too crazy you know? sticking out. From Maybe it. it was just too cold. Did you taste it warmer? Was there a difference? Yeah, you want to you taste sip it? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, get a chance. I think it's it's definitely better when it's not like ice cold. It's still cold, but not just you know, not fresh out of the freezer cold. There's a little something. Yeah, you get more in the, in the back of the, the throat. I think the the coldness um, kind of puts a damper on the flavors a little bit. But there's a little something there. Not anything that blows my socks off. I'm not wearing socks. Hmm. If you were wearing socks, they would remain on your feet. Yes, exactly. Right. What do you think? Pretty much what I just said. Oh yeah, there's fruit. Yeah, there's hop. Yeah, it's a beer. Uh, it's 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 good. <laughs> we can't lose our passion for it now. We gotta try and dig deep into these beers. Uh, we can't lose our passion for it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's um, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's American Pale Ale, and uh, <laughs> just stating facts. It is chilly water by Tighthead. <laughs> it has an ABV. <laughs> it's got an ABV of four point five. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you get a little bit of the fruit. Definitely mangoes there. Uh, apple, like you mentioned, I taste that. Oh, I only said apple juice because of the color. But I, I didn't taste apple. Okay, I, I taste that a little bit, maybe. Maybe it's just... Because uh, I said it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, suggestion. But it's a thicker beer, um, frothy. It's very coats bitter your mouth. in yeah. the swallow. Yeah, it coats your mouth. And then um, decent burp, hoppy flavor. <laughs> grassy decent perp it's just um yeah we've had we've had beers very similar to this before i still enjoy them but uh yes nothing that uh just like last week nothing that like pokes out at me Mm. nothing unique about it unfortunately sad to say Mm. but it's a good decent beer dig it decent apa do you want to do a bonus episode we can all right I'll, i'll need to put some research together 
BeerandFearCast.com is our website. You can um, click on the episodes thing and then click on where it says episode 54 when you're listening to this. I don't know where you're listening to this. Maybe Spotify. But go to the website and then click on that and you'll see some pictures that we've included at the bottom. You can listen to the, ep- uh, the episode right there. The little summary. It's got all the links for everything too in the description. So check that out. Our beer list is on there as well. Check out the about page. You can find links to our Patreon for our, our Twitch um, and then uh, our socials at the top. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, TikTok. And um, there's a contact form on the about page where you can fill that out. And if you want to send us a message, you can do that there. Or reach out to us on Facebook or wherever. Yeah. Um, and uh, beerandfearcast.com is our email if you'd rather just email us. That's, send us a harassing email. Yeah, that's that's on there as well. Send us a ransom email yeah. threaten us and uh and ask for a bunch of money yes. or you're gonna hack us yeah like uh 2000 bitcoin yes or you're gonna hack us yes that'd be really cool to talk about in an episode yes it would um and then besides that oh we got our live episode in the works we've got frights and flights we're still working on i'll have to add a section of that to the website but um yeah you know you know everything if you've been listening this long you know what's up we'll keep you posted have a good day. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> I have my eyes closed. <laughs>